Hi, I'm Linus, and welcome back to the Interintellect Hostcast. In this episode, I talked to Gabby Weinberg about his upcoming salon about celebrating grandparents. You can get tickets to his salon through the link in the description. And now, my conversation with Gabby. Hey, Gabby, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks, Lynn. It's great to great to be had. It's awesome to awesome to get this be a part of this uh, interintellect community. So we're super excited for your debut salon, which is going to be coming up on February twenty seventh at six thirty p.m. Eastern time. Um, the the topic of which is in celebration of grandparents. And in your description, you talk about you know, some of your personal connections and what it means for you personally about you know your grandparents but we'd love to get a little bit of a deeper dive in terms of how you arrived at you know, this topic and why you decided to host this salon sure so my as the if you've read the introduction to the to the salon which i can't assume everybody who's listening is her has read but the the concept you know kind of is it starts from the very personal um i think i have had a unique experience and i grew up within about 20 minutes from not only four but actually five grandparents my paternal grandfather and grandmother divorced 40 plus years ago so i grew up with and he had remarried so really my whole life i grew up so really relatively recently with all of my grandparents which was you know an absolute blessing but as i was more they spoke with friends about these types of things and more broadly reading about the state of how many families don't live so close to each other and aren't as uh, connected i learned that my experience as a, a grandchild was pretty unique and a it gave me access to stories of my own that i got to learn but also i decided to like dive a little more deeply into seeing where does what does that relationship look like beyond my own relationship as a you know relatively self-centered starting point but from there it was like seeing what are the historical paradigms for that relationship and also what are the more modern implications of uh, a more distant or even maybe even a, a recalibration of a more closeness uh, building out at this this time in, in history yeah that makes a lot of sense um i think it's it's great for salon topics to, to come from personal stories i think they often you know, make make for the for the best ones and, and do you so have go, any yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Uh, so i'm curious like did just for you know as anecdotal evidence did you grow up with a relationship with your grandparents so it, i think it was really interesting because both both sets of my grandparents live in taiwan i was born and raised in in california and so what would really happen is as i was growing up every year we'd spend roughly a month at our grandparents' place uh, in Taiwan. And so it was, it was really interesting because most of the year would basically have no contact with them. And especially as I got older, I've tried to keep up my Chinese, but it's not quite at that level where I can talk about, for example, what I do for my work, and how college was with them in, in Chinese. Uh, but I got to really spend quality time with them in these kind of very condensed spurts of time and especially talking to my my parents about it my my dad remarked that even though his siblings lived 
within a 10, 10 minute walk of my grandparents, my dad would end up having a, a, a closer relationship because I think it, it meant a lot more when we, got, we actually got together and there was a more of a deliberate attempt to stay in, stay in touch. He would you know, call every week at the exact same time. Whereas when you're living clo closer, it's, you know, you get a lot more of these casual interactions, but they might not be as deep. And so I think I got something of that as well, where we have you know, very, very deep, you know, connection just for a couple weeks every year. That's super cool. And that's an amazing model that I think, you know, people, especially before FaceTime, <laughs> you know, that became so ubiquitous, uh, or at least more, you know, Zoom or whatever other ways. It's cool that there are different models and different ways to build intimacy and closeness and family history with family, you know, in the instance where there is close relationship. And if, just because you're close doesn't mean you will see them all the time. <laughs> There's no guarantee. Yeah, I, I think that geographic proximity does matter a lot, but I think at the end of the day, it's also just around, you know, how much, how much interaction, what types of interaction, you know, these family members end up having. So I'm, I am curious in terms of once you grew up and figured out that your experience was rather unique, um, especially in this day and age, what were some of the biggest differences that you, you saw maybe compared with your, your friends like how do you think your experience was different what what did that impact in terms of how you've you know look at family and your your childhood sure i think one of the the pieces that kind of to your first question and i think looping into here is i had read this piece by Catherine boyle who's like feel a a player somehow in the inter greater interintellect universe uh, with her kind of take on American dynamism and all the different things that she works in, but in particular uh, about the impact of the kind of how Zoom, she has a few essays about Zoom and its impact on the family, but one focuses on her ability to live really with in her parents' house or right near her parents during the pandemic and that enabling as she gave birth to her first child that she talks about, uh, a certain closeness that she didn't anticipate and that she was lamenting the loss. And this is one of the essays, her essay, and there's a David Brooks piece that inspired some of her writing that I'll also probably be talking about in the salon and getting feedback really is learning from how everybody else thinks about, you know, she calls it a failure of the Brooks really calls it the failure of the nuclear family experiment. Um, and I think seeing that as a contrast, you know, that's the big picture, not my direct, you know, my necessarily my immediate friends, a lot of my community members, I'm a, I'm an ordained Orthodox rabbi and I, you know, studied, you know, live, grew up in the New York area. And so if you're familiar with either of those types of concepts, there's a lot of closeness there. However, there's a lot of immigrant families in that situation as well, where people's grandparents may have been Holocaust survivors or other kind of language barriers, limitations of those relationships. And my grandparents were all born in America. And so that kind of added a whole nother layer of that relationship where I had my paternal grandmother was taking us to the US Open on a, you know, for from age, I don't know, six, seven through high school. And we still continue that tradition even after she passed three years ago, we still go uh, as, you know, family or siblings, some subset. And there's just last week, again, I'm really blessed. I still have another one of my grandparents, uh, 
the four others are still with us. And I was visiting one of them on the island over the week over the weekend. And he's just he sits at his desk most of the days. He plays solitaire and studies the Talmud. Those are like his two main activities. And when we come home, he opens his drawer and you see all these different documents. It's a very small drawer that are it's they're all labeled the archives. And this is not like there's no system, you know, it's not the Smithsonian or uh, Library of Congress. But I can still till today with, again, this blessing of longevity and in my proximity of still being living near them. I see what that what that looks like and what these stories mean to them. He'll show me a letter from 1924 that his mother sent to his sister, you know, about a trip or vacation or whatever it was. And these are not some historic documents in the traditional sense of uh, the moon landing or some documentation. It's, it's really regular life that he just he has kept. And, you know, on his way with God's help to 90, he's got, he has these documents. And he's just so excited to share them. And so when I think about the contrast you know, with friends, uh, even my, my wife's family, unfortunately, her last grandparent passed away only a couple of years ago and didn't live as close for some of her life to her grandparents. We talk about all the time, like this difference of like the proximity and how, you know, with one of her sides of the grandparent of her family, they're much closer with the grandparents. There's I less close. And a lot of that was really driven by physical distance. And I think like getting to the bottom of that, like what are the benefits or what are the losses and being just, I obviously have my preference of what I grew up with. This is my preference. So to show my cards, but I think it's more, of a curiosity of what are people experiencing? How do we think about planning our lives living near our families uh, and what that looks like as the next generation, you know, next generation effectively, especially assuming the audience uh, in the salon at least. Yeah. Actually, we just realized as you were talking, when I was preparing some questions to, to ask you that it was all, all about kind of how having grandparents affects the parents or the children, but actually the grandparents are just, they're, they're equal partners of this, this whole dynamic. And I think it's, it's definitely one of the, I, I feel it's one of the tragedies and a huge oversight to not think of them as just as important. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. That's such a great, that's such a great like piece of it. And hopefully some grandparents will be in the salon. That's why I can't believe I even incidentally or inadvertently excluded them. I think that's, that's an amazing, I have a, a great aunt who's 95 years old and she tunes in via Zoom to like a community center, like reading group every week. So throughout the pandemic before she used to go in person, but she still tunes in. It's amazing. I mean, this is like living robust lives. We, you know, in our family, we joke, I mean, not even joke. It's true. She's like very, in the welderly category. <laughs> that's that's kind of special state and i think you know thinking about the the joy that people can derive throughout their lives right there's the joy of being a child and then there's a joy of being you know if you are blessed or and want to be a parent and have that opportunity to enjoy being a parent and there's the joys of being a grandparent uh, and then for even some you get to the great grandparent level and my my sister I did, one of the other kind of again very personal uh, origins of this this take is my my sister just had a baby um, and the baby is about eight weeks old. And it's the first baby that my grandparents on both sides of the family had that live in America, like great grandchild of, of each side of the family. And so in our family chat group the other day, 
my sister brought the baby to the my archivist grandfather in um in Long Island and he has a hard time getting around so this was like a big deal he hadn't really seen her that many times and it's like the joy on his face like holding this eight-week-old baby and he's whatever almost 90 years old like holding his baby is just it's unbelievable it's it's just an amazing and I wasn't even in the room but even seeing the video of it the facsimile of that experience clearly gives people a lot of joy on the very basic level before you get to the other fundamental lessons and concepts that can be passed from generation to generation when you have that exposure. Yeah, I think that's that's a definitely a very profound thing to just talk about because I think we can get into this a little bit more in terms of the paradigm of nuclear family in which each family, you know, parents plus children is an isolated unit and especially with declining rates of religiosity, fewer third spaces. There's there's not a lot of places where you get these multi-generational settings where you have people of all ages, old and young, interacting together and being able to see those very meaningful and joyous experiences like that of a, a grandparent holding a, a baby. And, and so do, do you feel like that's really it is just we don't we don't experience seeing those those interactions and we lose sight of the importance of having families or communities living in close proximity that facilitate these types of interactions more more commonly i think a lot of it comes about with partial I, mean, I, I exhibit it myself, partial self-interest, right? And a lot of focus on the self and figuring out what's in it for me. What do I get out of this experience? What does this look like? So I've even, in a candid way, I have my paternal grandfather has started to suffer from some early onset dementia. And he is someone who I would have lunch with on a least monthly, if not more frequently than that and mentor and would share sure I would share his stories with a repetition that I could recite but would also have new insights and things that I had not thought about and that type of wisdom was always something that I really benefited from and I regrettably have pulled back a little bit he's been a little more limited in his mobility I've been working remotely so I'm not working on the east side and midtown as often any anymore and there are some limitations things that kind of are built into that that are uh, happenstance or circumstantial, but I even again myself am noticing like, am I fully like living this value that I am trying to, we'll call it teach, but also analyze. I think there's a certain I need to be a little bit dispassionate. I can't be too bought in in going into a conversation around it and just being aware that there are limitations. And I think one of the opportunities is that we get to live our lives once, but we also can craft what that life looks like. And there are decisions that we do make on a daily basis that do have impacts and change the paradigm of where we, where we are. And sure, like you referenced the decline in religiosity or engagement with uh, communities of, of faith or practice from generation to generation is a, one of the reasons I'm sure why there's a little bit of a limitation or a diminishing of those relationships. Well, at the same time, there's there's an upswing in religious practice and interest. And I think the question is, will that last long enough to have a multi-generational impact or will it just be kind of another 
manifestation of self-interest. I want to have a community now and I want to be with people my age now, but in 30 years from now, I'm not still going to the same service, the same, whatever, Sunday morning, Saturday morning, Friday morning, whatever day of the week it is. Um, I think that's, I think remains to be seen and how that will play out over time. Do you have any thoughts about how you think it is going to play out or how you want things to play out? And what are the main factors that you think will determine what ends up happening next 20, 30 years? I'm certainly not a crystal ball. And I don't think you expected that when you put me on the phone or on the, on the line here in our conversation. I think that one of the opportunities of the in the next 20 30 years is that there has become i think due to the really strong work of you know parental leave and those types of those types of moves in the workplace which are still not i'm not sure what perfect looks like candidly i don't know what that is and i think there have been moves that have been towards the positive where i think they're being making room for family as part of the workspace is a is something that's like happening. I was, we were talking before we got on the call, this we work in Harlem that had kids in the office that like brought so much joy to me. And today I was on a call, someone was apologizing that his toddler might interrupt. It's, what do you mean? It's your child. Like, this is like the future. Like, I'm sure you're going to help me with my paid per click marketing. But I, I, if there isn't like a person on the other end of this thing, this is kind of pointless, at least in my, in my vision of it. And so I think that the, my hope would be that we're able to develop as, as, as humans, right, more uh, communities. I think interintellect provides some of that as well, you know, to do a plug, you know, in, in the circle of there are you know, relationships and families that have emerged from, the, from what's been happening in, in the community. I think that's like an amazing outgrowth. And I think maybe that is one of the sub-communities that emerges that is, excuse me, that powers the future of a family and community. I think bringing that to bear is very valuable. And there are communities that are doing it. It's not like this is something that doesn't exist, right? You have observant Jewish communities, again, from my own experience, I do go to a synagogue three times a day, right? Like that's a thing uh, for me and, and many of my friends, not everybody. And it's not like to make it, it's, that's the perfect solution. Um, but it does it does exist. And I think there are ways, there are paradigms in the culture now that exist that could be learned from and also enabled. Uh, and I think figuring out ways to take advantage of that will, will have a big upside for, for humanity. You know, even if it's not a synagogue on Mars, I can't speak to that. What that's going to look like, but something, you know, that, that could be possible. Why not? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And from my experience personally, I have lots of friends who are actively investing in building in-person communities in New York City, co-living spaces of you know, mostly the usual suspects, you know, mid-20s, you know, people in the startup and kind of indie hacker communities. I think the real test of you know, how that looks like moving forward is do they get their parents involved when they start having kids? you know, building a truly multi-generational community there? Or is it just, you know, they, they're going to be the, the oldest generation and start building from, from 
there on out. But for sure, there's a there's a famous. Um, I don't know if it's controversial. It's it's fam- it's famous in my circle of a there's a a story about a great rabbi, and uh, who's on a plane to Israel, which is a lot of great rabbis go to Israel. They go to other places too, but Israel is like a top top destination. This is you know. 40 years ago and he's sitting next to a professor both both are jewish jewish men and the the rabbi's grandchildren on the plane with him and constantly the whole flight are going over and saying to him you know zaidi which is you know kind of yiddish for grandfather do you do you need anything do you need a drink of water can i get you something this is the whole flight it's a 12 hour flight across the across the atlantic and the uh, the professor turns to the rabbi and says Rabbi, like, tell me the story or what's going, why are they, you know, what's the, why are your grandchildren like so? And so this is where it gets, I think is where it gets a little controversial in the line. I'm not sure, again, I'm not going to attribute to a specific rabbi. So now we can assume every rabbi says this, not everybody says this, but the rabbi turns to him and says, you know, do you believe in the, in the theory of in Darwin's theory of evolution? And the professor says, absolutely. How could I not believe in it? And the rabbi says, well, your grandchildren think that you're one generation closer to the monkeys. My grandchildren think that I'm one generation closer to Sinai when where Moses got the Torah from God. So they think that I have something to offer them. Okay, we can, I'll leave that story that can, you know, gestate and like kind of sit with people. Because I believe in evolution as an Orthodox rabbi, it's okay for me to believe that. But I think the, the point, the kind of to put a point on it is that if the indie hacker community and that crew co-living decides that we're going to figure everything else, everything out from scratch. You know, this is our, we're going to figure it all out. But there, there is some wisdom from the generations before. I for sure disagree with my parents about a bajillion things. Like, you know, there's all that stuff. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's part of life. But I think figuring out the wisdom from the generations before us is something that I don't think we can absolve ourselves of as people. I mean, there, there's, there's something there not just because they're older than us. But I think there is actually something, you know, materially there that we can, we can get. Totally. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, even, even if you are purely a secularist and you're not looking at some religious tradition to, to go back on, to, to justify that there is some wisdom, wisdom from the past, even just anthropologically, if you know about the Lindy effect, you should you should try and find things that are Lindy and certainly things that you know grand you know grandmother's wisdom is exactly Lindy. And totally. Um, no, it's and a, I think it's also a, it's a, yeah. and it's a balance for sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think um especially especially now, it does feel like a lot in a lot of places people are just trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And and sometimes it can be helpful and correcting certain things that are less savory or less relevant now. Um, but it's sure as hell exhausting. And you kind of see people making the same mistakes over and over. And you're like, that feels like people solved that <laughs> 3000 years ago, <laughs> but you know, good to see that you're coming back to it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's not as complicated uh, as we want to make it. For sure, for sure. Like, for example, like one of the not to get totally sidetracked. Um, you know, my 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 wife is Jewish, and and she keeps kosher. Um, like we we talked about how you know a lot of these diets, like keto diets and being vegan, it's it's a little bit like keeping kosher 
in in so far as it's it's a way of you know, being very present around what you're ingesting and and also in some ways like making sure that you're interacting with people in your kind of in group because the barriers to you know living this type of lifestyle are so high that it just naturally incentivizes you to kind of stay within your tribe and that you know dietary restrictions is one of the best ways to do that and it, i don't totally. know if vegans are actually thinking about kind of that kind of cultural aspect of it but it certainly does seem to be at play yeah i know it's it's interesting to see how that plays out and certainly wouldn't recommend like following the talmud's recommendations on medical care or or those types of things or the or necessarily everything about the diet things there are plenty of things that get pretty wild but I, I would agree, like I think from the, the face of it, there are there were there was wisdom behind different different dietary rules and restrictions beyond just again the the Sinaitic, let's say, sourcing for it for that that spurs some people's practice. So you go back onto at least the topic of grandparents. Uh, I, I think that one of the things is that Newer, newer generations you know, seem to be more, rel at least relatively, and maybe even from absolute terms, more dismissive of the past, that you know, they think that they know better, that because of you know, social change and the economy and just the direction of the world and the country, that their parents, their grandparents made a lot of mistakes and therefore you know, the, what they have to say is, is not as important. Do you, I'm, ass, I'm assuming, you know, you're on the boat that, of which, even if there are certain grievances that are understandable and legitimate, that we're missing out a lot on the wisdom that our forefathers and our elders can, can pass on. Do you think this is just a a cultural dynamic that's kind of set in like what do you feel like th this is something that can can shift and if so like how like what is your sense of you know how, how this dynamic is going to develop in the next you know five ten years maybe well i think that the i think that it probably depends on which on your perspective to some extent of who you're who you're evaluating and whose theses you're you're kind of which boat you're in because it, it it's probably more evenly split than at least my you know northeast backgrounded uh perspective might might tell me um and that's meaning tell me in that things are getting more distant from the past than uh closer to what the past looked like. And I think that, the, however, as you pointed out before, there are some things that are kind of just repeating and like re being regurgitated on with different wrappers, you know, to borrow from the UI UX experience, you know, it's another SQL database, just like a little bit easier to use. Congratulations, you know, uh, for, the, for the techies among us. Uh, I think that that's, so I, I don't know if we're necessarily giving up the, the history of our, of our forebearers, uh, more than either being <laughs> convinced that we've come up with the same thing without admitting it, or we're just taking 
so vast. Sure, we could say on the political valences and you know things that appear new to us, but maybe did exist 500 years ago, but didn't exist in the last 100 years. So it's more more surprising. So that I think is I'm not sure if the if that that distinction will necessarily hold out. You know, if I made a prediction on five years, it's going to be much more X or Y. I think we're going to we're we are you know, history rhymes. I think I've heard is like a kind of a better a better way than repeating itself. And I think that that I'm gonna, not going to attribute it correctly, but but that that concept I think is has a lot of resonance with me. And I wonder what what efforts are called our generation, you know, kind of the millennial Gen Z kind of where do, do we fit in in thinking about those those questions and where do our I think this again like the inspiration for this for this salon and what I'm trying to bring to bear is let's dig a little bit more deeply into the history of what a what what grandparents look like and what that what is the paradigm and then because most animals don't have that right most the, the, your your local rhinoceros doesn't have a relationship with its grandchild, right? Or fill in the blank mammals or otherwise. Um, it's humankind has this special relationship where that's even like a rabbinic, you know, uh, apple appellation where it's like you really become a a man, a mensch like a, when you have a grandchild. Like until now, you're like everybody else. You have a kid. That, that's what every all the animals do. So you know when you have a grandkid, then really you've become a human. And I think like that's it's inspiring to some extent. It's like a lot of work to do. You got to figure out how to raise kids, and then they have to decide it's a good idea to have kids, <laughs> right? Not a given. Uh, today's day and age, you want to be near them. There are all these different factors. But like you mentioned before, like the the consciousness of oh, the conscious that I have now will have an impact both on myself and my children and my grandchildren. And just like the other direction where the, the decisions that my grandparents made and my parents made and that, and that I'm either making in some way or another are also in within my control to some extent. I think we, we have a lot more control over the narrative than we than we might think. And I think that the even in your uh, the co-living indie hacker narrative even if they decided we're starting from scratch, our parents are crazy, we can't trust them, whatever the reason is, they still have to make conscious decisions if they want to perpetuate that tradition. And I think that that's, you know, for those in that community who are you know, motivated by those, those values and those things, I think they have a lot of, they have an opportunity too. And they're, feel free to lift from other communities that do the same, that do a similar thing from generation to generation. Yeah, that, that was a lot there, um, which I really appreciate. I, I think that I, I really do appreciate that kind of sentiment that you know, you're not, you become a mensch when you become a grandparent, because that means that you also raise your kids to become, in some ways, good enough to be a parent of their own. And that's that's kind of what really marks the, that really marks when, you know, You've really continued the bloodline, so to speak. That's when kind of your job is really done. So that yeah, that that I didn't know that that was kind of the the saying there. Yeah, no, it's it's something I've actually only come across relatively recently. But I guess it's because more of my friends are having kids, so I'm at like 
speeches at baby namings and other type of celebrations, but that's become a refrain that I've heard a couple of times. <laughs> and in preparing this, I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to save for the conversation. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I think I came across, maybe this was a tweet about, I think in, it was a poll of parents in the U S I think about what they care about most about their kids. And it's all about having a good career and being happy and really not much. It's a very low percentage that really care about them getting married and, and, and having kids of their own. So I wonder kind of what that, that, that to me seems like a important dynamic. Um, I don't know if you have any reaction. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't dug into that data yet, but it seems like something I should add to my, my list of like, kind of like just big slides, you know, if I was doing a PowerPoint for like Deloitte or something. But the and it, but it's an interesting stat I think in general and I I wonder what was it I just I just started last night the uh, the Jonah Hill uh, movie what was it called with Eddie Murphy so I'm like googling it now like it just came out um, you people I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix it's gotten some blowback at least in my side of the uh, of 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 Twitter um, and. It's a, it's like this, it's a story of a Jewish guy, I don't know, his mid thirties, and he uh, gets into a romantic relationship with a, a Muslim black woman. And they, I, I haven't finished it yet. I literally made it through halfway. So it, it wasn't that good, at least for me to finish it in one sitting, but that's just maybe because my attention span is not that long. But the, um, it's like this, the dynamic of the pair, uh, What's her name? Uh, Julia Louis Louise Dreyfus plays the mom character. She's a doting mother, but like obviously puts her foot in her mouth a million times, trying showing like how woke she is, all those things. You know, she's kind of like flexing, like a Silicon Valley, you know, mid, I guess she doesn't look like she's 60, but like she's gotta be in her 60s, just based on like the context of like what they're trying to do here with how old he is. Um, and it's like, I just want you to be happy. Like you don't care that she isn't this or isn't that. And and it's like this moment where you're like, okay, like if that's all you care, like that's you know what you it's it's the uh what you put in is what you get out, you know. It's that's that's kind of the the relationship. And I think that the I don't know what it maybe I don't know what it is about about that generation that has that view, but it's clearly not just the millennials, quote unquote, or the you know, Gen Z, older Gen Zs, they like gave that to themselves. Like it's, it comes from somewhere, right? <laughs> so I, and I wonder what that, you know, who, how do you, you know, you can explain a lot of the outcomes of the, the generation with those, those stats. If that's what you're trying to optimize for, for your kid, then it's no surprise you have no grandchildren <laughs> to use that and you're going to complete the, the story. Yeah. But, but I also wonder, like, I, I want to be, um considerate and thoughtful about like what their and you know, what that generation's thought process is that you know do they do they not have a kind of desire to become grandparents is is that not something that they necessarily kind of see as something that they want to be core to their identities as they um you know get older and that Totally. No, I think, and uh, for sure being uh, steel manning, the other side of it is, is like intellectually honest a, and also I think the right thing to do B, <laughs> or you could reverse those depending on, you know, which, how much of a virtue signaling you want to do. Um, I think that the, 
that's a, it's an important question. I think that that's, I imagine again, because it's a little out of my depth academically, out of my depth academically, I'm not, you know, this is not like my, uh, I don't know, PhD yet in this topic, but I think to some extent, the, they're a product of, you know, watching a generation of people go through the depression, watching a generation of people go into really hard time, you know, people who have the, not necessarily they, the pit, these parents saw the depression, but they had parents who experienced that. And that was, you know, could have been quite, you know, quite challenging and difficult and those other pressures and those relationships. And so they, maybe they felt more forced into having, you know, the children. There's a lot of different pieces there. What, what might, might, might explain for it. I'm sure every, every family and every unit will be different, but I think there's, there's definitely room to play in the, in the sandbox of this question. And it feels like there's a lot of room to, to explore and be very wrong about these questions, but also sharing from the personal experience, you know, hearing about the way your family took the approach of, you know, bringing you back home, you know, to some, in certain ways, right. A certain piece of your home uh, to Taiwan as a kid, right. has like one impact. And again, my luck of the biological and geographic lotto and whatever other things to be so close and having the manifestation of actually, you know, maintaining closeness. And that was a value. So I don't know the, um, the outcomes, but I think it's definitely worthwhile to, uh, to think about consciously. Yeah. And I think to, to start wrapping things up, you know, I think that's one of the beauties of you know, having this salon and having people share their experiences because within a single, you know, nuclear family, there's already so much, diversity and different experiences once you multiply the generation there's just so many it's it's a exponentially more permutations of experiences expectations values values you know coming into conflict so really excited you know for the salon and everything that you know you'll be leading the discussion on any closing thoughts that you wanted to share with the podcast audience or you want to leave it sure. all? Sure. I mean, first, <laughs> all uh, thank you all. Thank you for listening. I don't have any like big reveal that, you know, if you listen to minute 30, whatever, or 40, you'll get the answer to, you know, number 42, whatever the secret to the secret of the universe, whatever. I do think that the opportunity to, d- to discuss this topic is something that you don't need to know. You just need to know your own experience. So it's kind of a certain way, ironic in that sense so that it's not so ground. It's grounded in what you've done as a, as an individual. And, could be that you never met your grandparents. Could be you never met your parents. Uh, there, like there are people who who have that experience, and I think that the that's also something that is part of this discussion. And when filling in the blanks of those different paradigms that we're trying to understand, and what is the what do I, as you know, the salon leader, but also as a person myself, and you and whoever else joins the conversation, what do you want to take away, and what are the things that you never thought about? until until this conversation so that's what i'm hoping that we're able to accomplish in the in the time that we have uh on this in the salon in a few weeks and i'm really glad to get to uh get to know you a little bit through this this conversation as well lovely again thanks so much for being on the podcast Kavi. really excited for your salon you can find links a link to purchase your ticket um in the description below and thanks again Gabi. Thank you.